0: everyone to good night and good game i'm your host james and this week we are doing a special one-shot episode to deep dive into the open gaming license or ogl now that's something that's come under fire recently a lot online to help navigate this complex topic i have with me matthew webb he is the creative partner and one of the founders of jackalope live action studios and they put on a fantastic immersive larp like multiple ones but personally i went to the night in question and absolutely loved it matt welcome to the show to be here. Thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on because this is such a complicated topic and I I do follow your your TikTok videos and you more than most people seem to have a really good grasp of the situation and everything that's going on here. So this is going to be this is going to be a heavy heavy thing because I've had so many people approach me and say like what is going on with the OGL situation? I see it popping up online. Can you break it down in layman's terms? And it's almost so difficult to do that. <laughs>
1: It is. And it has a lot of historical context as there's a lot of inside baseball involved, but Mm -hmm. it's really like important to the hobby, like the culture of the hobby in a lot of strange ways because of how like how big an influence Dungeons and Dragons is on geek culture and has become on the broader culture.
0: Well, that's something that we've talked about on the show a lot recently was just the the rise of role-playing games in the modern era, thanks to you know your critical roles and your New York by Nights and all of that stuff. Um, so this open gaming license really does uh, affect a lot of people in a lot of different ways. But let's get kind of into the meat of it to kind of sit down a baseline. So the Ogl or the open gaming license, It was originally created by Wizards of the Coast in uh, 2000, I believe. And in the simplest terms of it, the open gaming license allowed other companies to use the foundation of the D20 system, which is the thing most commonly used for Dungeons and Dragons. And it was royalty free so that essentially another geek term, we'd say open source, um, so that there could be a common set of rules to create games based on um, is there anything I'm missing with that I mean that I tried to, to boil it distill it down into the, the simplest parts
1: basically the OGL was a peace treaty between third-party publishers who wanted to publish stuff that was compatible with Dungeons and Dragons and use the Dungeons and Dragons rules as a baseline. and Wizards of the Coast which owns Dungeons and Dragons so that is what the uh, essence of the OGL was Mm-hmm. And continues to be until they they revoke it. Yeah. Um, so that in the broad strokes, you're correct. And it really the OGL has had the broader effect of opening up the Dungeons and Dragons uh, ecosystem to dozens of creators, hundreds, thousands of creators, really. Um, and also making it clear where. Wizards of the Coast thought Dungeons and Dragons and their corporate interests fit into the broader ecosystem of the role-playing game, which is they control the baseline rules, they give you the SRD, but you can produce your own stuff for those rules and they won't do anything to you. And that was really what the OGL clarified.
0: Okay. So when we talk about the history of the OGL, like it, we, we it's it only came about in 2000 and that's when I believe TSR was bought up by Wizards of the Coast, is that
1: correct? Uh, I believe it was the year before, but yes. Yeah,
0: okay. So there was nothing like it before. I want to talk about the history though before the OGL because we we know what now what it is. It's this, you know, open licensed gaming system that people can use to create D&D-like games. Things like Pathfinder, a uh, very big competitor to Dungeons & Dragons, correct? Um
1: second biggest RPG on the market by all standards, yes. Wow. All
0: right. Um let's so let's talk about what the gaming landscape was like before that like what's what was the going in the way way back machine what was the rpg landscape like and
1: what did the ogl change when it came out it's impossible i'm glad you asked that because it's impossible to really talk about the ogl outside of the context of what spawned it and what came before so before the ogl came into place It was the position of TSR, the original company which owned Dungeons & Dragons, which got bought by Wizards of the Coast. It was the position of TSR that it was not in their interests, and it was a violation of their trademarks and copyrights for you to publish your own D&D-compatible adventures, homebrews, and they were infamous for this. Like, it became a joke that the acronym TSR actually stood for they sue regularly. <laughs> um, so if I came out and I made a DND compatible module mm-hmm. that used the D rules and the DND stat blocks, it would be almost a given. It would not be infrequent for us to get for for you to get a cease and desist order mm-hmm. that it was people just handing around homebrew stuff from. Uh, at conventions i was gonna say like, like going to gen con you would just see like a, a bunch of homebrew stuff wouldn't you right but it was very carefully written not to use the tsr rules mm. like it was very carefully written if you put compatible with dungeons and dragons on there if you used any of their stats or anything like that you were risking getting sued by them and they did this tons and tons and it generated massive amounts of ill will massive amounts of will. it's like i make a dungeon with stat in it i xerox it it becomes popular it starts getting passed around the convention circuit and i get a cease and desist letter from the company all right they viewed that as being the baseline in the 80s and the 90s right, right? they actively suppressed dnd compatible products and so the ogl was the product of a conversations inside Wizards of the Coast about how to deal with this situation. And they did what turned out to be a genius move, which is they said, okay. And I've heard inside information that the conversation could be summarized, Mm thusly: We don't make any money on adventures because only the dungeon master buys them. Okay. And they're very ill sellers. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't make money on these weird supplements. So why don't just you let other people write them and we'll just let people write them from now on. And what happened was they got an explosion of creativity and third party interest in the wake of the OGL to the point that what was a golden age of alternative RPGs. In the 90s, where there were a lot of competitors, competing systems arising throughout the 80s and 90s, and they really hit their stride in the early 90s and mid-90s, if I in my view, um, they got swept away by a flood of DD compatible products, both people reimagining DD completely using D20, the D20 rules, such as superheroes games like Mutants and Masterminds. Um, people doing pulp adventures using the d twenty rules. There was even a d twenty Star Wars. Oh, uh, I,
0: I actually did play a D twenty Star Wars once. It was a lot of fun,
1: yeah, exactly. And that used the Ogl license. Mm-hmm. And so you had all sorts of stuff. There was uh, people taking licenses from other people and just using the d twenty stuff. So that became this massive like push for people to know like this was a huge, lifting tide for Dungeons and Dragons. And they have to look at it, like in 1998, there was actively a, in the late 90s, there was actively a conversation of whether D&D was going to die. TSR was not publishing good rule books. TSR mm-hmm. had a lot of competition. TSR had to be sold. They were, you know, going bankrupt when they they got sold to Wizard of the Coast. So to go from having being on the skids in 1999 to being where we are now the ogl it was a massive part of that and it can't be said it, it can't be overstated how much it was a part of that
0: well and for historical context i think there's one other thing that we're not even talking about which was when you were talking earlier about how like in the 80s and early 90s there was a lot of like lawsuits with tsr because they wanted to sue anybody that was trying to make homebrew campaigns When you talk about the era that the OGL is coming around in, we are talking about the early days of the internet. Yes. And at some point, you can't stop those homebrews from getting
1: out there. You can't sue the whole internet. Yeah. So in essence, OGL represented a peace treaty. Mm -hmm. It was a peace treaty between a company who had dubious claims to trademark and copyright that basically they were relying on people not being able to fight them in court let's make that clear it has long been and we'll get into this more later but it's been the position of the copyright and trademark law for a long time that you cannot trademark rules to games right and so they turn around and they basically say listen we're going to stop this we're going to do a complete 180 we are going to say, hey, you can publish freely using our rules, using the something called the SRD, the system reference document. You can use anything in there. And the only thing you can't use is some very specific copyrighted stuff like the names of some of our spells and monsters and uh, very specific monsters that we've created. Sure. And that was the essence of the S, the, the OGL revolution. And it caught, it was a huge boon to D and continue to be
0: and that was built around the 3.5 system of D. from what i is that correct? it started
1: with third edition third, third edition yeah okay
0: because what I, from what i understood when they did fourth edition D, they didn't use the ogl they went to a different
1: they thing. went to a different license which was far more limiting mm. but the ogl remained in effect on 3.0 and 3.5 stuff So that led to the creation of Pathfinder. Pathfinder can rightfully be called Mm 3.75. It can be seen as uh, at least the first edition of Pathfinder can be seen as 3.5 continued by other means. If you like 3.5, you didn't like fourth edition, and a lot of people didn't, it's a very controversial edition. Mm -hmm. You could keep going on Pathfinder and Pathfinder is an update of the 3.5 rules.
0: Now I, it makes complete sense why I have several books in the Diablo universe that were published under with D&D rules.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. You had all sorts of stuff. There's like um, Elric and a whole bunch of other stuff oh, was published by you're speaking, yeah.
0: El, Elric is close to my heart. It was one of my favorite books growing up. So,
1: Absolutely. And so you had tons of like licensed material that came in, came in under the OGL. Mm hmm.
0: Although, to be fair, I'm I'm not trying to get us off topic. Elric was in, I want to say, the original edition of D&D. It was pulled, but I have that book where a bunch of the gods from the Elric books were in one of the earliest editions of D&D.
1: Yeah, I think Myths and Monsters was the name of the the book, or or Monster Mythology, Mm -hmm. which they had to pull because they also got sued for various things such as the Lovecraft monsters being in there. Right, that makes sense. (laughs) So... Why, TTU,
0: why is a system like the 1.0 open gaming license important for gaming content creators, both inside and outside the tabletop space? Because the OGL covers a lot of ground, even though it didn't mean to when it was written that way back in the day.
1: Yeah, um, I think it is mainly important because it set a baseline standard for what the expected relationship between the biggest the absolute biggest um biggest uh publisher and their customers were Mm -hmm. that set that baseline where we're not going to sue you for creating additional content for our game we consider that to be fair under our license we consider that to be good We consider that to be something which we benefit everyone benefit from everyone wins and it set this baseline for what the expected behavior of the biggest company the biggest company set the expectations behavior in the tabletop space and also the ogl became a training ground a a real boon to the development of tabletop rpg authors like it offered you this massive audience. It offered you the ability to to offer your work to the biggest audience possible,
0: right? Because it's right. so much easier for you as a DM or storyteller to say, "Hey, y'all, do you want to try a new system, like a new lore system, but it's based on this pre-existing rule set, so right. you don't have to learn anything new."
1: Right. Or you could just like say, I need more rules for horse mounts in my game. Mm -hmm. And someone put out the complete guide to horses like uh, Wizard of the Coast doesn't care about the horse book. They wouldn't put any money to horse book, but some random like group of two or three people could put together a book on horse mounts. And Mm -hmm. this this became a place where this became a minor league, really, for tabletop RPG authors who got their start making dnd supplements because it was an easy market to get to there was a lot of demand for additional content from the dnd community so it became a good training ground and that was a huge had a huge effect and these people went on went on to become like major contributors to larger third-party publishers or dnd itself
0: Yeah, I I remember seeing, now that we're talking about it, seeing so many strange supplements. Like there was one, I I don't remember the title of it, a friend showed it to me and it was was like the book of erotic fantasy or something like that. And it was an entire D&D supplement that was just about physical intercourse between people in- the 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 world of D like it was and i was like wow and they're like yeah you could just do that you could just make that kind of thing
1: yeah um, you could just make that sort you can make anything you wanted hmm. uh the the book of erotic fantasy i think that's what it's called is more um I believe it is more infamous, infamous than used. Mm. Yeah, I <laughs> think I think it, I,
0: I think it was too. Yeah. But I I only ever saw it in person once, and I was just like, "Wow, this is a, a thing that exists."
1: I have never seen it in person. I have only yeah. seen a PDF, and I <laughs> I perused it out of morbid curiosity. More that's than anything what else. that's what anybody
0: does. They just yeah. go, "Okay, what? Uh, okay,
1: this is yeah. a, this is
0: one whole ass thing."
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of that, but, you know, it was quantity. That was kind of also the thing that also came with the floodgates is that you got a lot of quantity over quality.
0: Right. But that also meant, like you said, there's something out there for everybody. Right. The open gaming license gave everybody that opportunity to, to publish that weird one off book that they wanted to without fear of repercussion or lawsuits or any of that stuff.
1: Absolutely. And it's it introduced all sorts of new ideas and you know you know that wizards was watching what was popular on that mm-hmm. market and they were doing things appropriately yeah. like you know people came up with rules for guns and then suddenly guns became a thing in D again right
0: oh the entire so uh, i used to play a lot of war machine back in the day and um I played in an Iron Kingdoms game. It was they took the miniature game, made the D20 system straight up with DD, guns, you know, steam-powered mechs, all of that, and just converted it over to the DD system. It's brilliant and to this day it's still one of my favorite role-play systems.
1: Yeah, and so this became this basically opened up a vast well of creativity that had professional repercussions. It had personal repercussions. It was, uh, and it was a massive boon to D and D D and D would not be where it is today without this massive flood of third party content, mm-hmm. which really so, sets the stage for what happens now for, for what happens next. So, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile,
0: back at the ranch. So we usually don't go into rumor and speculation on this show. It's just not our jam, but, for purposes of this talk, we have to bring up rumor and speculation because it it lays the foundation for everything that happens next, which was earlier this month, there was a quote unquote leaked version of the 1.1 revision to the open gaming license. The reported leak, from my understanding, imposed tighter restrictions on content creators using the OGL in such a way that it would generate more revenue for Wizards of the Coast.
1: Yeah, so this was originally broken by Gizmodo um and the the rules went beyond just generating more revenue. Um the rules said if you like the rules started putting in a royalty structure. That was one of the big things. The other big thing is is that you had to register your work with them for the first time. And they had the right to see, like, reprint anything you printed under the new OGL without any sort of uh, compensation from that point onward. So, if you point th- something on the OGL, you make some big thing about Half Works, they like it, they can put it in their main rule book, and you can go suck eggs. Um, that was a huge part of it the it was very ambiguous as to where streaming and videos were going to be on this there's an entire ecosystem of podcasts who in in exchange for being on their patreon you get access to their character sheets you get access to the monthly adventure that they put out but that was covered on the ogl now you have to register that now you have to open it up you know and and put it forward so it threw us an entire cottage industry of people who did nothing but talk about D&D in front of an audience that was dedicated enough to talk about to listen to people talk about D&D. And it threw that entire cottage industry in the chaos as well as putting large third-party publishers who had built their entire business about around making D&D compatible stuff names like Green Ronin and Paizo and Cobbled Press that had made all these all, all this industry around making supplements and additional stuff and new games that use the D20, the d d rules. And they threw that into chaos as well. And they said, we're going to deauthorize 1.0A, which is the latest version of the OGL they released along with the fifth edition. We're now in fifth edition. Um, and they're going to deauthorize it immediately. They never clarified what that meant. If I have a five East thing, a Kickstarter in the pipeline, do I now have to comply, comply with this thing? So, and there's a question of whether they could deauthorize it at all. And it was a mess. It was an absolute mess where they turned so much of the community on them so quickly people who made their lives around this game and put a lot of love in this game they suddenly were faced with what seemed like a vast overreach and a vast overreach for their intellectual property a vast overreach for their money and a vast overreach uh, against the community basically to try to establish this kind of iron grip over the uh, over the D&D community.
0: So let's get into that a little bit because the OGL has always been kind of intrinsically tied to Dungeons and Dragons. And when that first news hit of the 1.1, I mean, the backlash, I I didn't even know about the OGL until what happened with 1.1 hit. And I was like, wait, what's going on? And of course, you know, I'm getting on Twitter and TikTok and everything and everybody's like, oh, let's talk about the OGL. And the backlash happened so swiftly and Wizards of the Coast took their sweet time. like They remained silent on the issue. And the longer they were silent about it, the worse that it got. And I know that you're very close to the, the role-play community at large. So I'm curious, what kind of reactions did you see online personally? And do you feel
1: like those reactions were justified right after the, the rumors of 1.1 hit? Um, I So there were two levels of rumors. Initially, there were some YouTube videos which claimed – that the OGL 1.1 was bad and they made some very vociferous claims. But when Gizmodo and Lynn over there came out and said, this is real, here's the PDF, here's the scans, this is real, that was very justified. This was a betrayal of the community that had built up so much around D&D. It put so many people at risk. You had people who, whose livelihoods, they make thousands of dollars a month on their podcasts, on their actual plays, who did not know if they still had a job after this, and they were panicking. But we also had this upswell of anger from the community that suddenly we have to ask permission for, and we have to upload every single homebrew we make under the OGL, under these rules. It was an immense, like, draconian measure, obviously meant to seize control of the d and and take, like, more control of the community in an effort. To push people into some new business model, and I'm sure, like D and ventures in the Hollywood, also had a lot to do with that. Where Hollywood said, and this is my personal theory, Hollywood said that we don't like the OGL, we don't understand it, make it more like IPs that we're used to dealing with, like Star Trek.
0: Okay, I see
1: that. Yeah, and so, that's unsubstantiated. That's my theory. Yeah.
0: Sure, <laughs> um, but I mean, we're talking about the the back. Uh, when I started seeing the backlash, I mean, yes, I'm very close to the role. I've been a role player almost my entire life, um, but I never thought about something like the OGL before. And when it, my entire feed lights up with something like this and I'm seeing the backlash, I can only imagine what you saw as close as you are to the to, to the community at large.
1: I saw it and I was initially like when the YouTube video started, I said, you know, I, I'm going to out myself here. I am not very pro Wizards, mm-hmm. right? I am not a massive d d player. I think that Hasbro is a uh, is a multinational health escape corporation with a variety of abusive practices. Reach so yeah. <laughs> so um, I was like, "What did you expect?" You know, I'm not going to put it past them, but I'm not. I'm going to wait for the details. Let's see how stupid they are. Mm-hmm. And then 1.1 hit, and I'm like, "Wow, they are way stupider than I thought they were." <laughs> and they. <sighs> It's, it was very clear to me that this was preparing for an era. They envisioned an era where every D&D player gets, you know, is on their D&D beyond uh, uh, virtual tabletop. Everyone pays a monthly subscription and everything that is done in the D&D space passes, uh, uh, pays them out. the transactions makes... are the name of the game, right? Exactly. They envisioned a world where they had more control over the cash flow of their game than ever before, that they could um, end. They could control third party publishers and make sure they were complying with their vision of the game and that everybody was on a short leash. And, oh, by the way, you're going to have to be nice to us because we can yank your license for almost any reason. Right.
0: It's frustrating to hear because everything about the 1.1 rumor and leak that we heard, it just it just reeks of greed,
1: right? It came down to greed. It came down to um, pressure. Uh, a well-substantiated rumor, um, no one will admit to this, but reporters have reported on it and said this has been confirmed, is that the OGL that was leaked was being used to strong-arm attempt to strong arm third party publishers and strong arm people, uh, other companies into making sweetheart deals where basically you sign on to a license, a real license between you, uh, you and us, we'll cut you a better royalty rate with more restrictions and we will, we'll cut you a break or else you get to be in the OGL, which stinks. So
0: shortly after this leak happened, there were sources that were emailed by an employee that was a current Wizards of the Coast per, uh, employee. So in the email they stated that the changes that they were, that were being made to the OGL after the 1.1 leak were being created because of the backlash, but also apparently the the email stated that D&D, or the Wizards of the Coast was going to use the, the metrics of D&D Beyond
1: to, like, judge the metrics of, of everything that was going on? So let's talk about D&D Beyond for a second. D&D sure. Beyond is their online service for creating characters and running virtual tabletop that Wizards of the Coast spent over $100 million on last year. Last year, I believe. Yes. Um that is a that is a closed ecosystem where you buy books through them in order to get it to appear in the virtual tabletop as options it is they why it is pretty much an open secret that they consider D&D Beyond and this kind of virtual tabletop play to be the future of D&D so their entire business model is based on moving up into this point is based on moving from book purchases being the major flow of income for D D to it being subscription services and monthly subscriptions. That is what that, that was their play up until this point. And I think that they had this image in their head that everyone would just go along with it, go over into DD Beyond. And that would be the future of D and D from that point onward, and they would they would be the Netflix of tabletop.
0: Uh, yeah, and and every, because everything's moving to that model these days anyway, right? Like it's just they thought, they thought that that was the natural fit, and but on top of of the the whole D and D beyond part of it, there were also in the email um, it was stated that quote leadership doesn't take any responsibility for the pain and stress they cause others end quote. And I think this is a pretty revealing statement hearing like what Wizards of the Coast thinks of not only the people that they work with, but their consumers. I mean, do you think this, the current D and D role players will kind of use this as an opportunity to branch out and maybe try some other gaming systems?
1: It's already happened. Yeah, it has already happened. Um, uh, I was amazed at the speed in which people were saying, we need to get away from Wizards of the Coast. We need to get away from D&D. And because I think the general sentiment was, Wizards of the Coast says we own you. And the d community went, no, we don't. No, you don't. We can play other games. We are not locked in to playing d d in a world that's awash with dozens of equivalent games. Hundreds of RPG, TTRPGs in general, and to it was this act of defiance where the people started canceling their D D Beyond subscriptions, and you had influencers saying, "We're playing Pathfinder, we're going to go play GURPS. we're going to play some, we're going to go play Fantasy Age." We're GURPS going is to such play an Spending underrated Time. system, by the way. <laughs> GURPS I, is an underrated system too, but, uh, I I hope it gets more love in the future. But like. You know, when people have this amazing wealth of alternatives that have so far been ignored by the D D crowd, and then suddenly Wizards comes out and just insults their their base, and suddenly all these people are coming out of the woodwork and saying, you know what, you can play Pathfinder and it's almost exactly the same game.
0: You could probably just convert your current campaign over to Pathfinder, no problem.
1: And that is what is occurring. That is this ma- there's been a groundswell of a there's a now a a split in the community of people which are like let's wait and see, you know, it was only a leak. Oh, they're doing better. And there's this group which is basically like and this is this is on the heels of other missteps. There have been accusations of uh bad employment practices there's been uh, there's been racially charged content which was handled inappropriately in D books by many people's standards i'm trying to be neutral but i'm i'm of the opinion that they made some really stupid moves when it came to that sort of content um and on the back of all that some people, a lot of people said this is the straw that breaks the camel's back i'm not quitting tabletop role-playing games but i am done playing these games. I'm done playing Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast is not getting my money. Even people who said, I'm sticking with 5e. I am not moving to their next version. And I, Wizards of the Coast is never getting any money from me ever again. So there is definitely a splinter, a shattering of the command base between people who are like, wait and see, let's still play D&D. And people are like, screw them. We're done. And,
0: and honestly, since all this has started... Like we said earlier, like Wizards of the Coast, they were radio silent for so long. And then in the last week, they decided to perk up out of nowhere and issue not one, but two apologies. Three. The the second apology was released while I was working on this interview. So in the first apology, it was very businesslike. It stated that the OGL would only cover tabletop content and that creators making things like live streams and virtual tabletop platforms would be unaffected so there'd be no royalty structure. But then sources had seen the new draft of the OGL, and they said that in that document, it would revoke the previous OGL, hurting the creators who already had existing projects, and that there actually would be a royalty, but it would be for people who made over like something like $750,000 on their yeah. published works. And then they did a second apology, which was a lot less formal. and
1: Actually was, signed
0: was, by someone. It's actually signed by someone. And but the quote rubs me the wrong way, which was you're going to hear people say that they won and we lost because making your voices heard forced us to change our plans. Those people will only be half right. They won and so did we. You will continue to own your own content with no license back requirements. So, long story longer, it feels like Wizards of the Coast took all of their time to craft two responses based on player and fan backlash. I mean, how do you think this? Yeah. How do do you think the struggle to define what
1: the next chapter of the OGL is going to be is going to do for the gaming community as a whole? Well, I think you missed part of the original uh, apology. The original apology, they claimed the OGL 1.1 was a leaked draft for feedback right and that it wasn't real it was a leak. Mm -hmm. it was never meant for anything while people in the industry came out and said no you were using this to try and strong-arm people into contracts you were actively using this as a as proposed document it nowhere says it's a draft it nowhere says and also people don't have you don't send out a draft with contracts attached Mm, that is so true. So people are like, how stupid do you think we are? Right? How much do you think we can die? And that line about, uh uh-uh, uh, you didn't, nobody really won. That was just the icing on the cake and really, literally promoted this image of Wizard of the Coast as this arrogant 500 pound gorilla who thought it could do whatever it could. And now, whoopsie, I'm sorry we got caught. That is what that first one came off as, as that not I'm sorry we did this is I'm sorry we got caught Um, and really spoke to what their ambitions were. It was unsigned. It was full of corporate backspeak. And you're right. That line just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But the real takeaway from that O.G. The O.G.L. first apology is they tried to claim that it never really was an issue when there was so much indications that this was the wish list from Hasbro corporate. This is what the, this is what the new leadership wanted. Um, And they've only been forced to walk it back because of D and D beyond. Uh, (laughs) So those those cancellations worked according to, according to sources inside they worked because D and D beyond is a major revenue stream. And that was what they wanted everyone on. They wanted to get as many people into the d d Beyond ecosystem as possible. So it was a very tangible symptom of this is not just people who play other RPGs that are mad. This is not just a couple of rouser, rabble rousers online. Some of the numbers I saw were 40,000 canceled subscriptions.
0: And those are what, 20, 30 bucks? A,
1: they forget. range from five to 20, 30 dollars. Right, right. Because yeah. I, I, it's been a
0: while since I played D&D, but I remember I did play a very short session of D&D online with friends during the pandemic. And if you had a certain tier of D&D beyond, your players didn't have to buy the books. They owned the books and would like they could have your players, I guess, see like borrow the books from you.
1: It, was, it was really weird. Yeah. 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 You could buy books and they were available for your campaign. Yeah yeah and you know D D beyond was a good service but it it became they wanted it to be netflix they wanted it to be practically a requirement for playing D and they wanted it to be something that they could nickel and dime people over
0: yeah it was one of those things that when i did play that very short D session in the back of my head all i could think was god i wish i had this for vampire like yeah that'd be great <laughs>
1: uh vampire is on demi plane so yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> kind of
0: excited about that um but during that time period that all this was going on, was there any talk about like alternatives to the OGL being formed?
1: Yes, um, there were several companies which came out with their own version of the OGL license. The big one that hit is called the Open Role Playing. I forget what it's called, but the acronym is ORC, okay. and perfect, it was perfect acronym. a attempt. But it, it is a new consortium of gaming companies, including Paizo. Which are moving forward.
0: And is the one that that does uh, Pathfinder.
1: Pathfinder, that's correct. Um, That they're moving forward with a new orc license that is irrevocable, far more secure, and cannot be changed like the uh, Wizard of the Coast wants to.
0: Mm, Interesting. And how, I I don't know if you would know this or not, like how would that work? Because Pathfinder's based on like this 3.5 rule set.
1: the second edition of Pathfinder is not based on the three okay. point So okay. it would uh, I believe it would be under two, for the Pathfinder 2e. Okay. Which Thank leads you. The yeah. Question of whether or not, you know, at least for like I think Paizo, if they tried to if Wizard of the Coast at this point tried to say, uh-uh-uh, you can't do that, you can't have this new license because we own it, Paizo would be like, We welcome your lawsuit. We would we would love for a court to say no, D cannot be copyrighted because <laughs> that would if if this sequence of events and these missteps from the loss of, go from the loss of all this goodwill all the way to by the way nobody owns D D that Ooh. would create it would be the biggest misstep I think I've seen in any entertainment industry for years. And that
0: kind of starts to bring us to the present because, like I said, uh, I have been updating our interview questions and and everything since I started writing this all out days ago. And as of just a few hours ago, Wizards of the Coast put out their 1.2 version, which I find interesting, by the way. If 1.1 didn't exist, why is this Mm 1.2 of the OGL? And in it, it states there will be no royalties given to Wizards of the Coast but it's at the cost of pulling the 1.0 version of the open gaming license altogether. They are calling this a quote playtest draft of the license. And right now reactions online seem to be very, very mixed about it.
1: Very mixed. And I think basically this, uh, so they did two things. They say that they're releasing the core mechanics into a license called creative commons. Creative Commons is a very commonly used license. It's used by Wikipedia, for instance, and it is a license which frees up things to being copied, reused, and shared. And then they're saying, okay, but the SRD is under the 1.2 OGL, and the 1.2 OGL allows you well, doesn't have any of the poison pills in it, except for a couple. And I think that a lot of the mixed reactions, if this had been the OGL that got leaked, they would not be in the situation they're in right now right. at all. But it wasn't. And it's really obvious that somebody got their wish list taken away from them. <laughs> yeah. So and but here's the curious thing. Um, I know I mentioned that rules can't be copyrighted. Mm-hmm so they're saying we're releasing the core mechanics of D under creative commons praise us for the openness when someone who's savvy you know and there's some great videos about whether the ogl was ever even necessary you know because of current legal understanding of how game rules work and game mechanics and what can be trademarked thanks to a lot of law in video games at this particular point um, the general understanding is is that you're releasing to the creative Commons the section of your of your intellectual property that you didn't really have a claim to anyways you sued people over them but you were just being big pockets right it's interesting
0: to me because we're talking about a lot of things that exist within the legal space and i can tell you out of the number of years that i've been role-playing I know a lot of rules lawyers and people that are willing to read the fine print. And I feel like nobody was reading the fine print until
1: this happened. Right. And there's other stuff inside the OGL, such as they're making what is ultimately a laudable attempt to try to say that you can't produce racist or objectionable or horrible, hateful material under the OGL license. They are trying to do that. And they're saying we can revoke the license if you're doing anything hateful or obscene and a lot of people are looking at that saying you know what if we thought you were a good actor in this this would be fine but who defines obscene the ogl says in the opinion of wizards of the coast is obscene
0: you're you're, and, you're hiding capitalism under a guise of mm, there's this veneer on top of it that's just like oh we're doing this because we want to make sure that like bad actors don't do bad things
1: And it's like, but mm. Wizard of the Coast is part of a publicly traded company. Now, let's say, let's speculate. Let's assume that everybody at Wizards of the Coast has the best intentions with this provision. All right. Everyone there right now. I've been asked to role
0: play a lot of things in my life. I don't know if I'm willing to to say that I can role play this, but I'll go with you.
1: Okay, so imagine (laughs) that everyone there has the best of intentions. Let's give them that. Mm -hmm. Okay, what happens when some oil billionaire buys out Hasbro just because they want to? And they declare that a depictions of gay characters is obscene, in their opinion. They own the company. They can shut it down. Right. Right. Like these rules have consequences and you have to think about stuff like that. You have to think clearly about that kind of implication. Yeah. So the idea that they can like they, they they've reached the point where something which should be a huge boon to them this idea that we're going to get rid of like hateful material and we're going to put a stop to it. They did like this idea, even they're not even getting trust on that because they've kind of revealed themselves to be like, they they've lost the goodwill. They've lost this Teflon coating they had up until this point, because up until this point, D and D was a huge comfort brand for people. And Watsi was this pop culture darling. That got all these nice articles about how, oh, look at how geeky, nice, weird DD is now this darling that got us through the pandemic, and now everyone's playing it and all this stuff. And all these people approached Watsi as being the uh, you know, the caretakers of this wonderful ecosystem of creators. And this was our comfort brand. DD was our was our home to a certain extent. And now. They have put people into such a defensive mode. They now don't even have trust on what is ostensibly good things.
0: I mean, given everything that's happened to this point, I mean, is it is is one point two too little too late for them? I mean, do you think that players and content creators will rally behind this
1: Ogl that's more consumer friendly or are they going to look to other options? I think that I mean keep in mind that D&D has between 15 and 40 million players depending on whose numbers you take it. Mm-hmm. Um I think what is going to be is like nobody the that school of fish cannot all move in the same direction. But I think there's going to be a permanent splinter in the community and I think the veneer of Watsy is these good people who are the, you know, and D D is my comfort brand, right? That is over. And that's going to stay over for a very long time. They have there's that old phrase, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. That is really what they're faced with at this particular juncture, is that they are no longer like this comfort brand. They have shown themselves to have. These hyper capitalist motivations; everything that they do is now suspect. And I think that people, uh, there's going to be a considerable number of people who are going to move on, and there's going to be a considerable number of people who stay with D and D and say, "This is enough. This is the cut." And I think that's the intent at this point to stop the bleeding. I don't think that they are going to win back anyone, but they're going to stop the bleeding. They're going to give influencers and streamers the cover that they need to keep doing what they're going to be doing. But the people they've already lost, they have lost hard. They have not gotten, they're not going to get, get those people back. Um, and I think those people are going to continue to drag other people away from D D. Do I think this is a bad thing? That's another question.
0: So I have some other questions that I do want to ask you because I'm just so happy to have you on the show here. I've been wanting to pick your brain for a while. Um, but all the other questions are not OGL related. Do you have any like last thoughts or anything you really want to get out there about this whole situation?
1: D and D has been a virtual monopoly on RPGs for the last 10 years It has become synonymous with tabletop RPGs. We are seeing a massive shift to where people are uh, people in their disgust with Wiz- wizards of the coast. They are moving beyond D and D. <laughs> they are moving to new systems they are exploring what is a far more diverse hobby and it's really hard for me not to see the breaking of a virtual monopoly as a bad thing and that the str- and it's obvious that wazi's actions was fueled by the perception of the stranglehold they had on the industry and to see that hold broken is a great thing because even if 80% of D&D players stay with them and let's say there's 20 million of them 20% of 20 million people is a lot of players that's going then those if they move on to support other RPGs that is a huge boost to what is much smaller much lighter and much more closer to the hobby companies
0: so because you're here now that we're we're past the OGL stuff, I did want to pick your brain about a couple things. Sure. Um, OGL adjacent, I guess, um, because I want to know: Are there any RPG systems that maybe you would recommend to entry level players, people who are not that experienced in the RPG space, that um, maybe don't have a ton of rules to learn? Right? Maybe the the whole like giant book is intimidating to you. What are some games that are, are accessible for for newbies?
1: So um the two ones that I would recommend for newbies is that there's a game called Quest, which does fantasy RPGs really, really well. It just takes a D20 and it does like it does fantasy D&D type RP while being very light and rules light. And I highly recommend Quest. It's been recommended to me by a lot of great friends of mine. Um As far as rules light systems, there's such a plethora of them um i really like kids on bikes which is basically the uh stranger things rpg
0: oh okay where you're
1: running around a suburban area in like the late 80s early 90s as a bunch of kids Mm -hmm. and it has a very simple system a great system in my my opinion but even there's some big book systems which are are pretty good um but as far as things that are replacement for D&D, Pathfinder is really a fantastic thing to get the D&D feel. But you get into the big book problem there.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, it is a big book. There's a lot of lore, a lot of stuff like that. Um, and for those of, that are out there that are looking for an alternative to D&D with everything that's happening with Wizards of the Coast. Um, and when I say alternative to D&D, I don't necessarily mean it has to be fantasy. I need to know what are some of your personal favorite role-playing games and why.
1: Okay, so my big game is Vampire the Masquerade. Amen. It it is a world, (laughs) it's set in a place, a world called the World of Darkness, which is our world, but inhabited by monsters in the darkness. Um, I think it's a fantastic kind of noir sort of setting where you're dealing with vampires and werewolves and mages and all these other things in this modern noir sort of setting. It's really easy to pick up. The new edition is fantastic. If you played it before, I highly recommend it. Uh, other games that I highly recommend, I've already mentioned Pathfinder. If you're looking for a high fantasy dungeon crashing thing, I really re- recommend that. Um, if you're looking for something a little bit different, I can't recommend Alien enough. Alien is based on the Aliens like films, <laughs> and it is one of the best horror games I've ever played. If you want to feel like you're in an alien movie, it's fantastic. there it's by Free League. Um, also by Free League there's a wonderful game called The One Ring, which is a game where you're journeying through middle Earth in the time between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Oh wow that
0: would be really yeah. fascinating.
1: And it feels very much like the books. It doesn't feel as much like the movies. It mm-hmm. feels like going on a journey through a land in decline. And that very kind of strange fantasy post-apocalyptic feel that so much of Tolkien has, mm-hmm. it really embodies that really, really well. And it's got this this really great ethos, like this feel to it, I think.
0: Wow, that's that's exciting. I do have to say, as somebody who is a, a little bit of an obsessionist about the Alien franchise, please run a game. I really want to play <laughs> in one. Like I, I just love that franchise so much. And and I did see your TikTok where you talked about it, and I was like, oh god, I didn't know. This. I didn't even know this existed. Like I. Oh, wa- it's I gorgeous.
1: The books are uh, gorgeous too. Like just being a fantasy person is a fantastic thing. And uh, on top of that, like I would also, I would also recommend Call Cthulhu. Big that fan. is a really great one uh it's a it's a pulp action slash horror setting based in the works of hp lovecraft that's a really good one um if you're looking for a little bit more sci-fi i really like cyberpunk red which is set in the same universe as cyberpunk 2077 by that's meant, to be, meant to be
0: like the like beginner's guide to cyberpunk essentially right
1: Yeah, yeah, Cyberpunk Red is the beginning to, is uh, Cyberpunk, it's uh, 20 years before the events of Cyberpunk 2077 is the baseline Mm -hmm. setting, but it's a fantastic game and I really like it.
0: I I love that. And those are all excellent recommendations. And there is a RPG for you out there in any kind of system, I promise you, like any genre, any of that. I, I personally have played in a couple Mech Warrior campaigns, big fan of that. Um, <laughs> giant you know, Stompy Robots. Giant <laughs> stoppy Robots. Well, that was the beauty of the Mech Warrior cam- uh, campaigns that I played when our DM was somebody who played Battletech and taught me Battletech. And so the the great thing about Mech Warriors is that you could just do a pen and paper if you want, or you could go hybrid where it's like pen and paper, but then when the action happens, you switch to the tabletop miniatures for it.
1: Absolutely. Uh, another good game is Weihander. Um mm. Wyander is a dark fantasy game based in it's basically like 16th century Europe. There's like basic firearms and stuff, but it's the it's people fighting against the forces of chaos. Mm-hmm. If you like dark fantasy, you like it even darker. I recommend Shadow of the Demon Lord. It sounds right really my good. Alley. Fan. <laughs> yeah, if the name catches you, you've already done. You're already in there. Mm-hmm. There's also some great generic systems out there. Like uh, there's and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark is where you're playing a group of thieves in a fantasy city and it's got a lot. It plays very different than d where the GM never rolls. OK. And you are basically planning heists and it's got rules for flashbacks and stuff like that. Uh, Blades in the Dark is a really great setting. And there's uh, a sci-fi port of it that I really like called Scum and Villainy, which is goes from fantasy and it uses the same rules, but instead does science fiction.
0: Well, those are all excellent recommendations I appreciate it. some of these systems I've never even heard of and I'd like to think that I have a pretty good ear to the ground when it comes to RPGs but again there's so many like art, right, tabletop LARP all of it that's so varied and so different that if you're just trying to get into the system and you can put all this OGL stuff behind you there is a flavor for you right like there's, there's something that
1: speaks to you. Oh, oh absolutely like there's always something and there's like if you it's sometimes hard to find mm-hmm. because d d has such a stranglehold on the market, but there's tons of stuff coming out all the time, both on PDF and in physical. Do you like Star Wars? There's the Star Wars Fantasy Flight Star Wars game. Do you like Star Trek? There's Star Trek Adventures by Modiphius and a whole bunch of other stuff. Do you like Westerns? Oh, there's a game called Aces and Eights, which is Westerns. Deadlands. Yeah, do you like westerns with horror monsters in it? Then you have Deadlands. Um, And you have generic systems as well, like GURPS or Savage Worlds, which are, you know, or the Cypher system or Cortex Prime. And those are all systems which you could build any world into. So you could create your own setting, or they have excellent setting books on their own. So that is a huge boost. Like there's always something out there for tabletop RPGs. And one of the most Exciting things about this time is that you have a whole generation of people who came in in the last 10 years and all they've ever known is DD. And D was what was comfortable. But now they're seeing maybe I don't want to like hitch myself to the D train anymore. And they're looking, they're honestly, and I'm gonna admit something, I didn't think this would happen. <clears throat> That is the thing I'm going to admit. I did not think that the D&D crowd would actually branch out and start doing other games. I thought they would suck it up. They would defend their mommy brand Mm -hmm. and they would just go along with it. And I'm actually was I'm really, really amazed that they went, nah, we're going to try something else. We're not going to give up on the hobby, but we're going to do we're going to play other games. And it's it's been a huge boon to these hardworking publishers and producers from other games.
0: I, I love all of that. And yeah, and I know that as somebody that I got my start into RPGs playing D&D, um, I found uh, World of Darkness in the 90s, and then I just kind of never looked back. Um, but, you know, it but getting that branch out from D&D was so refreshing to me, because once I, I left D&D for World of Darkness, I went, what other games are out there? And then I found like Shadowrun you know yeah. and I went oh the shadow like and, and Shadowrun is one I want to recommend by the way um if you ever want to turn like a player onto a cyberpunk game but they've only ever played D&D Shadowrun it is D&D but cyberpunk
1: yeah. that's what
0: it's like that's the easiest way I've been able to sell it to everybody that I know that's a D&D nut. Just like D&D, but Cyberpunk, there
1: you go. I've been playing RPGs so long when I've been like, uh, I've been like racking my brain for RPGs. I'm like, well, it could be this. No, that one's out of print and it's impossible Mm. to find. (laughs) Yeah, totally understandable.
0: Um, I do want to point out, uh, if you have been listening to this and you maybe don't want to run a game, but want to play in it, um, I tend to recommend going to your local gaming stores, uh, oftentimes hobby shops, comic book shops. Uh, a lot of times these gaming stores have like boards for people looking for games. Um, of course, you can look online as well. But a lot of these local gaming shops, like here in Austin, we have like Tribe Comics. And you can go down there and see like a little like, hey, we run a this particular type of game on a wednesday do you want to come play it or you could put up like i want to play a shadow run campaign does somebody want to run this because i don't know how to run the system um so support your local gaming shops please um but also use them as a way to connect with other gamers and get into those other systems that you may um have otherwise avoided
1: and also there's uh online like marketplaces for gms and stuff like that there's a paid and free gm uh service uh called start dot games oh. and that's uh that is a good place to start playing though that is like th- those are paid gms so it's slightly right. different
0: sure so i want to get into our final question and it's going to be a big one um a while back on our show we interviewed caroline jensen and we specifically talked about the importance of role-playing and role-playing games uh we did Specifically talk about your wonderful wonderful LARP the night in question. Well, thank you. Um, but as somebody who's worked in and around role-playing games as long as you have, I want to hear your perspective on why role playing is important. And this is a speak from the heart. Like, why do you think role-playing and role-playing games are so important?
1: It's easily the most intimate form of adult play that exists. Like, and I mean intimate in the fact that it is sharing who you are with people. I think that it offers a great like tapestry for the imagination, but I think most importantly, it's a way of finding friends and keeping friends and enjoying things with other friends. And I think that it's an amazing experience and, you know, I'm an old school punk and I've always said there's nothing more powerful than people sharing their weirdness with one another. And I think RPGs and, you know, LARP, which I'm involved in, is a very powerful way of sharing things as a community. And a tabletop game is a community in a way a lot of things are not. Like you can go to a football game, you can find a community there, but how? that's a very passive sort of receiving of that. that. While RPGs are this thing which are just deep, like you, you are embodying somebody else and you're sharing these experiences with one another. And I think that that is just an amazing way of spending our time with each other on this earth. And I think that creating stories together is both one of the oldest things humans do and one of the most powerful things humans do.
0: I love that. Yeah. Every time I've asked that question, you know, the answers I get back are always so, so passionate and it makes me want to just get out there and role-play more and encourage more people to role-play because I get to role-play enough as it is, but like, I've been trying to encourage, I've had so many people reach out and say like, I've listened to your episodes about role-playing and why role-playing is important. You know, I'm nervous about putting myself out there and you shouldn't, you shouldn't when it comes to this hobby, because we, we have a limited time to do these kind of fun things and being able to come to a table or a virtual table or a LARP with your friends and open up in a way You probably couldn't, may not be able to do, but you can do when you're playing somebody else. I think now more than ever is one of the most important things.
1: Absolutely. And I think that that's really the opening up and the sharing of experiences and the creating together is really the most important of it.
0: Matt, thank you so much for coming on our little show. I very much value and respect your opinions in the world of role-playing. And like I said at the, at the top of the hour, I, I you really put on a hell of a game. Um, so, thank you. Yeah, but with much love and much respect. Um, but where can people find you online if they want to find what you're what you're doing and what you're up
1: to? So I am Matt Stormcrow on Twitter and on TikTok, so that's one of the best places to find me, and you can also follow my Larp studio at Jackalope Larp on Twitter and Jackalope Live Action Studios on Facebook.
0: And that's everything that we have for the show this week. I hope you enjoyed our little special on the Open Gaming License fiasco. Hector and I will be back next week bringing you all the nerd news that's fit to talk about. But until then, good night and good game.